up, hey? What up, Ray? How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I'm blessed. You know, highly favored and blessed. Yeah, Halle. <laughs> we, we, were having, we were having a behind scenes conversation and so we're gonna start off with me living black history like what you had something to ask yes yes so we are you know it's black history month it's um just like christmas is the most wonderful time of the year because it does get while we do live black history 365 it does give people who don't um spend as much time being curious and and engaged and and even informed having some opportunities to just learn more and do more so I would love for us to start our three times dope podcast out today, not necessarily talking about folks who have made history, but folks who are current living legends. And so I mm. said, why don't we start with V Ray yeah. from, and I would love to like, we've been working together all this time and I don't know your story. So tell me your story about like, how did you even get into education? Man. So funny thing, right? I was, um, substitute teaching in an affluent school district uh, adjacent to Sunnybrook, right? So while I'm doing a master's in human resources, like right around the time of like 9-11. And so as I'm in this district, I'm like, damn, they got everything. <laughs> like they really have access to like everything. Any kid that's here that wants to be successful has the opportunity to be successful uh, if they, if they want to be. And then even if they don't want to be successful, they still have parents that can now have access to things like tutoring, SAT tutoring, ACT tutoring, and like all those extracurricular things outside of, you know, what you what, what most families can afford. They still have access to that, those kind of things as well. So I'm sitting, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, these folks don't need me. I know people that need me. Huh, okay. People that look like me need me. And so, lo and behold, that guy must have been listening, right? Because I get this email, and it's like, oh, free master's degree program and a job at Morgan State University. And so it was a it was a program, it was similar to uh, TFA, uh, but they called it Project Site Support, right? And so uh, it was really a project and they really like supported the site because I had uh, HBCU professors that would come into Baltimore City Public Schools and like teach and would wow. give us like, and would give us uh, life, you know, project life into us in terms of like what we were dealing with uh, in Baltimore State Public Schools and then also, uh, that transcended to classes that we took at night. And so uh, it was really like, it was really theory and practice uh, combined. So shout out to Morgan State University in their teacher education program. Uh, I don't know what they're doing now, but I know, uh, you know, what they were doing then, they were, they were preparing teachers to teach in urban schools, right? And so like you, I didn't know anybody that was coming out of, out of Morgan State at that particular time. That wasn't ready to teach in a Baltimore City in a Baltimore City public schools classroom. Same with Coppin State, uh, but the same same with Towson. Like I, I felt like you know in Maryland they were really preparing teachers to come out and teach. That's dope. Like I think that you know the thought we keep talking about like this the lack of black teachers, the lack of black males teachers of color, and 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 thinking about some of these programs in the ways that they actually like not only made a difference in that particular district, but look at you now, right? You've moved on. This what you learn there is influencing your hiring practices. How do you how you talk to people, how you hire, how you relate to kids. Do you think that that whole sense of like I recognize that I have gifts that I'm not using to my potential in this place is, is something that you that you saw or that you just felt more called to at the time. Like how how did you get to that to that moment of action? Because I think a lot of people feel that, but it's yeah. fleeting. They feel it and they're like, oh, okay, that was nice. And then they just go on about their way. How did it what made you move towards action? Man, so so it's funny you should mention that, right? Like I always believed in like the leader in me. Uh, from the fraternity to just like just like how my, my everyday walks in life. And so for me, like I always felt like I was the principal in my classroom. Like I was one of those teachers to where I wasn't sending you nobody. <laughs> I'm not sending nobody out of my class. Like if I, said, I felt like if I send somebody out of my class, that's a sign of weakness. And that makes you want to come in my class to figure out what's going on to where I have to send kids out of my class, right? So I learned that very early, like, nah, we're going to deal with this problem in-house, right? And so, you know, what it forced me to do is it forced me to have great great working relationships with parents, forced me to build those relationships and, and build on top of those relationships so that, you know, parents do that when I called. I wasn't calling for no reason. I was calling because, you know, I legitimately needed to, like, uh, build partnership and community with them in order to make sure that their kids were getting the best they could get. And I think that that's something that's lacking these days, right? So, like, I don't think, I'm not sure if teachers genuinely call parents 
for the sake of building that community, I feel like they call uh they they call parents with with the the worst in you, the worst in your child, right? Mm-hmm. So like I always tell teachers that I work with, I'm like, oh, the first the first call that you make at home uh, should be a positive call. Like those parents should know that you have seen something uh, remarkable in their kids so that they know the next time you call and you see something that's not very remarkable that you can have a conversation based off of an unslanted view of their child. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting how that like formulates. So I remember when I first started teaching, uh, I went through a master's program and it was quick. And my motto in my first group was from nine to three, you belong to me because I knew that there were so many things I just didn't really understand, right? I'm a new teacher. I didn't understand a lot about, I knew pedagogy, but I didn't know like data and I hadn't looked at kids. I hadn't spent enough time with kids to like begin to understand the things that were happening and how I needed to respond. Now, later on, I got to understand that, but it was, you know, it was just coming from a place of love, coming from a place of like modeling, coming from mm-hmm. a place like if we're going to spend eight hours together, we should at least make this a place we want to be. And let's just talk about how we want it to be, how we want it to look, how we want it to feel, how we want it to sound. And and for me, I feel like I transferred a lot of the ways that I conducted myself as a teacher into my role as a principal. And so of as course. a principal, it kind of felt the <clears throat> same way. So, so how do you take, what's something that you took from your learning as a, as a teacher that you now apply to yourself as a district leader? Man, teachers are humans, right? Just, uh, just yeah. So I, I, whenever I'm making a decision, I always put myself back into the, the space of of being a teacher, right? So like I always, I never, I I will never abandon that, right? So like when we talk and we have conversations with staff and whatnot, and they're like us versus them mentalities or whatever, like oh admin, admin. No, I'm not admin. I'm a teacher, right? I'm a teacher first. I, 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 you know, I, God blessed me with the abilities to be an admin in addition to being a teacher, but I will always be a teacher, right? And so I think that uh, a lot of times when superintendents are in these positions, they need to think about their roles in the classroom. And that brings me to the next thing. If you don't have a role in the classroom, then you need to get somebody that's like adjacent to you that has a role or has had a role in the classroom so that you're not making these top-down directives that are stupid. Right. Right. And so and so so also bringing teachers in and making teachers a part of that conversation. That makes sense as well. Right. So like if you don't have a a, a teacher that's in your cabinet, uh, just getting a a focus group and bringing those teachers in and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or, hey, how can we unroll this? Or how can we you know, how can we do this better or whatever? Right. I think that a lot of times we talk at teachers instead of talking to teachers. And and with. Yeah. And talking, talking, yeah, talking with them as well. uh, That makes education problematic. Yeah. Well, before we, I just wanted to stop for a second and celebrate you, Brother Ray. And I your, appreciate you, sis. For Black History Month. Let's go on and get yeah. into this content today. What are we talking about? Mm, <laughs> While we got and Rob not here, we, we two times of the three times dope today. Hey, we might have to kick him off. This is the, this is the second show out of, out of, uh, out of, out of four. I mean, I know this was in your classroom and he missed two days. He'd have a problem. Ooh. We'd be doing a home visit. In the college class, well, in the K-12, yeah. But in the college classroom, he might not be able to pass. (laughs) 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 All right, so first topic for us, man, is uh, uh, a mediocre white male (laughs) and their obsession with the N-word. So, sis, (laughs) I, I... let me put this back up because I, I need to sit with this for a second. <laughs> Mediocre white males and their obsession with the N-word. So, so you know, we got this Joe Rogan situation that's happening, right? I sent a, I, I posted a video or whatever uh, with regards to it. And, you know, he's using the N-word or whatever. It's like, so for, to, to be, to, to, to give him, you know, to give him his, uh, his due, he's saying that it's a compilation over 12 years in which folks are doing a mashup with him using the N-word in context. So my question to you is, is there ever a time for a white person to use the N-word in context? So I think the answer is no. Um, and, And the question about context is the reason why they can't use the word. And I don't think it's necessarily to me it's not about the word. It is about their obsession with this, like, you can't tell me what I can't do. 
and it is directly centered in power and authority and that that freedoms and I can, you know, do what I want to do because you don't tell me and I'm like, I bleed red, white and blue. And so I think the use of the word is problematic. And I think that it also goes much deeper because I don't think he thinks he's a racist. In one of the clips, he had Jimi Hendrix in the picture behind him, like on the set. And so I think that he believes that the use of that word describes an, a population that does not reflect the other part of the population. And that is okay for him to say that. And it doesn't. And I, I think it's less, it, it, the word, the use of the word is troubling. I, I'll be honest, I can't even like watch it. Um, I've been just trying to do a better job of protecting my boundaries and protecting what kind of energy and what kind of things I let have access to me. And I just think it's about power. It's like, you can't tell me no. It's the kid that you say, don't touch that, it's hot. And they got to keep touching it. And then when they touch it, they're like, oh, wait, that was hot. Like, it's about power and, and access. And what, what makes me upset is this whole thought about on Monday, we believe in freedom of speech and people should be able to say what they want to say. But on Tuesday, you're at the school board meeting trying to ban books. So which one is it? Do you want people to be able to say and have access to the diversity of things because you want them to be able to create their own opinions and it doesn't reflect who they are? Why can't we say the same thing with our textbooks? I can read this book, but it doesn't reflect who I am. I can have this poster or I have this unit in my class, but it doesn't reflect me trying to prioritize the life or the experiences of one group over the other. So I, mm. I don't, I can't deal with the hypocrisy of it. Like on Monday, you want freedom to say what you want, but on Tuesday, you want to ban books. Pick a side. Hey, folks, folks, you're in this audience right now, and I see a couple of y'all are. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, should, 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 should white people be able to use the N-word? Uh, We're we about to dig in. And so, sis, I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize beforehand because I know you came in, and you're like, I'm trying to protect my peace, and so I'm about to unprotect that. Oh, I knew that. That's, that's why I'm, I'm hydrating. I got my yeah, yeah, yeah. sit down yeah. ready. Go on, give all it right, to man, me. So let's, let's, all right, so let's go here first. And the guy goes, okay, I goes, that in a good neighborhood? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Guy barely speaks English. He takes us there. We get out, and we're giggling. Oh, we're going to see Planet of the Apes. We walk into Planet of the Apes. <laughs> we walked into Africa, dude. We, we, we walked in the door, and there was no white people. Okay. So, 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 so that's, the, that's, the first, that's the first John, right? So dude goes in, is watching, uh, wants to go see Planet of the Apes. Like let's 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 paint some some real context here, right? He asks his friend, he's like, "Oh, hey, can uh, you know, is this a good neighborhood?" First of all, that's racist. What is a good neighborhood, right? And so that's that immediately implies race to me that you're looking at the situation and you're trying to find something or whatever, right? But not only that, he says he walks into the movie theater, which is an all black movie theater, and like automatically that turns into. It was Planet of the Apes inside of the movie theater, not even talking about the actual movie, right? He's uh -huh. talking about all of these black <laughs> folks that are in the theater, yeah. and that became Planet of the Apes. So anybody that knows anything about racism knows that, like, since the beginning of time, black men have always been associated with apes, right? Mm -hmm. And so for you to then say, you know what? I had no idea that that was racist. That's bullshit to me. You right. And so I want you to hear his apology. ...and how much fun it was to go to see this movie in a black neighborhood. It wasn't a racist story, but it sounded terrible. It's a fucking idiotic thing to say. And I was just trying to be entertaining. I certainly wasn't trying to be racist. And I certainly would never want to offend someone for entertainment with something as stupid. Okay. So this dude says he wasn't trying to offend anybody. He was just trying to be entertaining. First of all, who are you trying to entertain? The 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 people who gave him a hundred million dollars to keep him on. He the number he's one of the highly rated podcasts on Spotify because he thinks that he can say it and it doesn't reflect him, and that he's clear that there are hundreds and millions of viewers who agree with that same sentiment and who un and even if he didn't understand what it yeah. meant, he knows that they understand what it means. And then yeah. it's like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad, I didn't even mean to say that. Like who who even talks to other people that way? And maybe it's offensive because you. You know, for us, we spend a lot of our time with young people. 
with the parents of young people, with young staff members, with young people. And I would not, we don't, we don't yell. We're not acting crazy. We're not being rude. We're not using language that's offensive. If you say something that I don't like it, I got to own that because your experience is true and valuable. And they just think they can say whatever. And and that's all about power and privilege. And nobody checks them. Nobody checks see, it. And when they get checked, it becomes problematic, yeah. though. Because then when they get checked, it turns it. Who, who was the other one? Gruden. We'll get to NFL in a little bit. How he got yeah. checked, all of these terrible things. And then they, when that happens, mm-hmm. the way I receive it is that they are so um, confused. <laughs> like, how <laughs> why me? And you know why they say why me? Because all their friends and colleagues are talking the same way. And so it's like, what do you mean? It's me, but what did I do that's any different than what these other three people do? Than what we do? Than other people laugh? So why is it problematic for me? So y'all are targeting me. This is cancel culture, and you're coming after me, and I should have the freedom to say what I want to say. Man, get out of here with that. That's bananas. You can you can have the freedom to say whatever you want to say, but I have the freedom to react in whatever way in which I want to react. And I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't risk my life. If somebody disrespects me by calling me a nigga, knowing how hurtful that word is, knowing what our ancestors went through or whatever, like you ask me what, what my trigger is, that's my trigger. Growing up in the South, that's my trigger. Yeah. I will lose it all for that. People are like, damn, man, you you living a good life. You living this, you living that or whatever, right? And, and so, you know, you're willing to risk it all because, you know, one, one, of, these, one of these jokers call you a, a, a yes. Well, you know, everybody got their own way. I remember one time, uh, once upon a time, I was in a class with a professor who was um, looked at very favorably in the community. And um, he often, he was a white male, and he often did and said some things that didn't make me feel like um, they felt offensive, they felt violent to to me. and it felt like he was doing them in jest, that he felt like he just had authority and in proximity and he would just, you know, do all of these things. And so at one point I said, I am going to get up and I'm going to leave this class because I have understood enough about <laughs> my brain to know that my response will be to flee, to fight or to freeze. And I pay too much money to freeze here and experience this. And if I get up and fight, we won't have any more school. (laughs) So I am taking it upon myself to leave. I'm going to leave this class. And and I will not, not ever. It was a very, you know, it was a a big white institution, right? And for Mm -hmm. me, at that moment, the same way that you would risk it all is the same Mm -hmm. moment that in a way I was risking it all in a different kind of way. Because I was Uh willing walk away. I was not going to, especially to pay, I'm not going to pay to engage with you to speak about women and violence and people of color and people who are situated closest to poverty because you feel like you can. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, so uh, again, that was a te- that's a teachable moment, right? That's a teachable moment for everybody. And I'm so happy to hear that you took that stance, right? And so for me, my approach is also a teachable moment. I'm going to knock you out. And you're gonna learn from it. The next time you freely want to use that word or whatever, you're gonna think twice about who you about who you use it with because they're gonna check your ass, and that's what they should do, right? Like you're not gonna be running run around here using that word like that one night and think that you know it's it's just okay. I'm yo, listen, let me tell you a quick story about my son, right? My son, he uh so after he had graduated from from my charter school or whatever, we weren't we weren't going up to the twelfth grade at the time that he graduated. But he uh he went to I then had to buy a property uh in a high school that I felt like was deserving of him, right? So then I uh, I exhibited zip code choice uh because I had the ability to do that. A lot of parents don't have don't have the ability to do that and he would have had to go to his district school, which I didn't think was a good school, right? So like when you hear zip code choice one night, like that's that's where it comes from and that's what how it resonates for me. So I buy this house uh in, in a in a well to do uh school district, right? He goes in and it's majority white kids and he he walks to the cafeteria first day and they're freely using the N word. He's a 12-year-old high schooler, right? Like, he's because he, he skipped twice. He's 12, 13, and he's walking in, and he's listening to white kids use the N-word. That boy came home crying to me, right? Like, so angry. Like, he was shaking, right? 
because he just didn't understand how they felt like they had ownership over that word. And they could yeah. use that word as freely as they wanted to do. And so I'm sitting and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, I could blame these kids for, 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 for their usage of for, for their usage of this word or whatever and how they don't know the impact of the word. Or I could blame their parents. Because a lot of times these these that's that's the dinner conversation that they have. Right? They having they having these conversations with their parents and then that's how they come to school feeling like they can say this word all freely or whatever because they don't really know the hurt and the meaning behind these words. And then with them limiting what we can teach in school, right? Limiting books that uh that 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 may uh share our experiences as black folks in this country, right? What they doing these book fans and doing all this other stuff, these kids that they raising, they ain't never gonna know. And so that's gonna make that's gonna make them exasperate the, the usage of N words and hurtful words and like all of these stories that are counter narratives for us. They're not even gonna know these stories. Right. And it's crazy because there was another clip of him where they had a bunch of other words. I guess they were saying like, well, what's wrong with the mm-hmm. N-word? We say all these other words. We say this mm-hmm. one and this one. Mm-hmm. They just went on and on. And I, mean, I didn't even know what words they were. I didn't I even know what ethnic groups they were referring to. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that because I don't speak that way. I don't look at people that way. I don't box folks in that way. I didn't. Even, I was like, what? What group is that? And they were like, oh, yeah. Oh, you can't say that one. That one's really bad. Which also yeah. lets me know that you have an awareness of the impact of these. Absolutely. 100%. Between intent and impact. And yes. the line between the two is frequency and context. So if I say it one time and the intent is to, in a part of a book, a part of a story, yeah. To, to design something, to use it as another example. But if I'm saying it all uh, many, many times, when we rapping, when I'm saying this, when I'm talking about that, when I'm mad, when I'm happy, then the impact is going to be affected, regardless of what your intent was. But it just goes to show, like, you know, there's a lot of hateful speech out here, and we have prioritized two or three words, but I, I didn't even know what half of those groups were. And I'm like, well, of course I wouldn't because I don't talk like that. And I don't rock with people who speak like that. And I don't read words and listen to music that even begins to caricature people in a way that would make using that kind of language okay for me. What kind of what kind of model am I being to use language like that? So just so we're clear, right? So 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 folks understand like where I'm coming from and they could possibly understand where you're coming from too. I don't like when black people use the word, right? Like I feel uncomfortable when 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 we use the word, right? Because I feel like, you know, you know, they 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 they've taken our culture, right? They they've assimilated and planted, you know, seeds and done all these things to where they to where they pro- they profit off our culture. So if you look at if you look at hip hop, which was supposed to be our ways of explaining ourselves our ways of like talking about our struggles that that exist in america or whatever right mm-hmm. every other word in the lyric is, is using the n-word so that if you are glorifying this word now they feel like oh well because you're saying it that means that i say it because i'm a consumer and you know and, and that that's what we're listening to that's what that's, we're hearing that's privilege that's mine i should be able to do that even if i don't want to and think it's wrong you can't tell me that i can't that's all about privilege and power mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do That's you crazy. Remember the first time that someone, that a white person called you that? Yeah, and I remember getting and I remember getting suspended from school for three days too. <laughs> I remember. I'm gonna tell the story, so I hope that nobody is, you know, feels some kind of way. So the first time I was called that by a white person, I was seven years old. I was oh. on vacation. Mm-hmm. I was on vacation with uh, my mom's one of her good friends from work and she had a bunch of siblings and they would always go down to Myrtle Beach. They get a big beach house and they would go to the beach and we were there, it was the summertime. And I remember they, I was like, despite the fact that I don't wake up early now, I used to wake up early. <laughs> so I got up early and I had gone down to the pool because I was waiting for everybody to get ready. And I remember like swimming, I got my goggles on and I got a little dry jerry curl and I'm swimming and doing my thing. And I come to the end of the pool and I look up and I see a white cop. He must have been like, he had the tan on and like those sunglasses and a hat, big hats. And he said, hey, hey, in, get out of that pool. Not only did he call me in, he called me gal. Hey, gal, what are you doing in that pool? There'll be no in that pool. Get out of that pool. 
And I remember being young, seven, little kid. And I knew that what he was saying wasn't right. And I re- even now I can, I feel my heart beating fast. Like I remember being scared. Mm-hmm. But I also remember that I was a child and that a part of what I was told to do was like listen to adults, right? Just was to listen mm-hmm. to adults. He's an, he's an officer, he's authority. And I remember saying, okay, and like getting out of the pool and him and, and walking back to where we were staying. And I remember like being there and they were like, oh, we ready to go? And I remember not going to the beach that day. I stayed in the house. I was afraid. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I, and you know, being from, from DC, we didn't, I didn't really see a lot of, of white male officer cops like looking down. But that moment was um is crystallized for me because it it reminded me both of of probably my first experience understanding like the intersection between race and gender. Like as he was like, you black and you a woman, girl. Get gal. I was seven years old. Get out yeah, of that gal. And I remember just feeling so um, embarrassed and ashamed, but not because I had did anything wrong. And I also yeah. remember coming home, and I never, I didn't tell my mother that story until I was an adult. You know why? Because my mother would have responded like you would respond. Mommy yeah. would have found who that person was. I'm down mm-hmm. to the south, been back at that pool in it, looking for that person, like, stop, you're not going. But I remember it being a very frightening experience. And so to get back to your question about, like, the context and how people use it, like, yeah. just I don't, I don't think people even have any idea, specifically white people who use the word in jest to say that, oh, I was just in, it was just entertaining. I don't think they understand the 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 emotional connection that people have to that word, even if it's because of something that they have taken back ownership of through rap lyrics or through community, you know, the way they speak. But, but for me, it was just like, yeah, I can't, it was, it was not a great experience. Hey, I haven't made, I haven't made my case yet. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working. Oh. Fired. I mean, this is happening left and right. You hear about the guy from Netflix that got fired for doing, Yeah. he's having a conversation about offensive words that you shouldn't be using in comedy. And because of this, this conversation, during this conversation about this subject, he used the word nigger right because he was in this conversation and did it one other time apparently because of that not calling anybody that saying it out loud yeah was fired from netflix that is crazy unless it, he was saying it like he like is having a good time with right it. like he was like you know like how was he saying it was he, that's the thing right but the I, thing is it's very strange that that word is only forbidden by the people that can't. It can't be used on. Right. Like you can't use the N word on you. It won't right. work. But if you can use it on someone and they happen to be a person of color, then that person you're not allowed to do that. Right. It's very interesting, man. Well, I remember when I would go when I would ride my bike to school. A lot of my black friends would get on my bike, you know, and they right. get on, and I would ride them, I and it was right. fun, you right. know. And they used to call me the nigga bus whenever I rolled up, <laughs> and they would all call me that. And I honestly felt, and they were my it friends. It was fun. Right. So, it was fun, but you couldn't say it. No, and I could. I couldn't say it. And also, look. I find you know when somebody says anything, if it's something to do with a race, a gender, anything, and they have malice or ill intent. And these days, I think if you do that, somebody's going to correct you really fucking quick. And yeah. so, yeah. And so that's where I come in. I'm the corrector. I'm going to correct you really quick, right? But even in that piece right there, even as he's saying it in jest, you could feel that he liked that. Like yeah, it, it was it was it was productive. It was he was enticed by it. He it turned him on and made him feel like he was doing that forbid. It was forbidden fruit. I get to say the word. I get to taste it and do the thing. You nasty mother. Oh, crazy! That is crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. And then so folks are talking about my Fitbit. It's a mashup over twelve years. So within twelve years, you've been using this word as loosely as you've been using it. To where they can go back for twelve years and hear you using the word nigga, and then so then you have you have you have the insurrectionists. Let's call them that, right? You have these folks that are so comfortable with Joe Rogan and his misinformation with regards to COVID, right? To where they now take him out of the misinformation box 
and he becomes their leader. So the power that he has over these people is no different than Trump, no different than um guy on uh, on Fox, uh what what um Tucker. um Tucker, no different than Tucker, right? He has a hold over these races as people, right? And so they are caping for him, like, oh, you know, it's just a word, it's just a word, it's just a nah, that's a word that can get you hurt. Right, so I feel like we have to add that piece on it too. That's a word that can get you checked. You're not gonna walk into the hood. You're not gonna walk into no majority black space and use that word and think right. that they're not but gonna they be any that. repercussions. But they know that, and so the checking doesn't even need to be from us because when they with us, it's all fun and games. The checking needs to be from their peers and colleagues who hear them say that and know it ain't right. So that's where accountability right. comes in. When is the what is the likelihood that Joe Rogan gonna roll through through the hood, any hood USA, and be using that word frequently and not be with we with other people of color, other folks? He's not. So if he can use that word publicly, that frequently on a in a Place a platform with, such as, but he's a platform. Knowing, yeah. he knows yeah. who's he listening to. If we brought him on this show, he wouldn't say that. No, because I would find out where he's at. Because, but that's the thing. That's <laughs> where the accountability. That's where the accountability and the responsibility comes in because he yeah. recognizes when he should and when he doesn't, and he knows what happens in certain contexts when he does. So when he says it on no shows, he activates people, he gets them going. It's, it's not just the use of that word. It's that word and all other kind of language yeah. that we know yeah, yeah. is not. We, we are better than that. We can evolve and speak. No, no, about no, 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 no. Me not, and you are better. Me and you are better than that. You the way. We the way. These past, these, yeah, these past five years have shown me that argument about the we are better than that. That shit don't exist. Because you got hundreds of, 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 of millions of people that, that buy into this thinking, right? And so if you buy into this thinking, I can't I can't I can't you say know. you're better than that. I can't say that no more. But you smart, so, but you know, you know the you know the difference. They know when to say it and when not to, and in what context. And when they do and get slapped on the hand, then it becomes again the confusion is why what did I do wrong? We talk like this all the time. Why are they slapping nobody? I ain't slapping nobody on their hand. So uh <laughs> Uh, but but, but uh, listen to Trevor Noah, and then we'll move past this. But I wanted to stay in this for a second because I wanted to make my point clear. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need that. Said that. He. That's literally what he said. If you said you walked into a black place and it was Planet of the Apes, then you've said that. You said you can't be like, oh no, I, I didn't say. It. You did say it, which is racist, right? And it's not just racist. Like, let's let's be honest about it. It's not just racist. That's like OG racism. <laughs> that's like like the original old school. Like, that's on the Mount Rushmore of racism, you know? Black people are apes. It's right next to burning crosses and then, like, every Bugs Bunny cartoon from the 1940s. What I found particularly illuminating is, is, is when he says, I wasn't being racist. I was just being entertaining. No, Joe, I think you were using racism to be entertaining. Yeah. And so, hey, my man brought it home. He, he, he said it exactly what it was, man. You're using racism to be entertaining. And there's a lot of min minions out here that don't really understand the context of, of, of that. And, and I'm not going to be their teacher. I'm not I'm not showing them for that. So, like, you can get canceled. You can get blocked. You can unfollow me. You saw my you saw, you saw my, my video. I did. It was unfollow beautiful. Unfollow me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah. So let's move on. Let's move on. We've spent a lot of time on this, but you know, we got other things that we need to talk about. All right. So let's talk about the origins of the Rooney Rule, right? And so Rooney Rule uh set up in, in um in two thousand three by Art Rooney, who was the uh who was then the uh CEO or president of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. And according to this Rooney Rule, uh before there was a hiring of a head coach. Uh, each NFL team was supposed to uh, was supposed to interview at least one black applicant uh, prior to making their decision about hiring a head coach, right? And so this context is important because even with the hiring of uh, of of of, of uh, even with the interviewing of one black head coach, we still don't have we still don't have that. We the the, the NFL is damn near. Uh, all white in terms of coaching, right? So I think that they just made a recent hire. I think Lovey Smith uh, is down in Texas now. And I think that the guy that went to Miami from San Francisco 
is is uh is, is half black, or uh, so he's considered a, per- a person of color. So now there's uh, out of the thirty two vacancies, I think it's thirty two teams. There's two uh, NFL players, and so my charge to you, right, is that we have these athletes in the NFL that are over that make up a comprise of over seventy uh, percent African American, right? If they ever took a stand then we wouldn't even have to have this conversation. Correct. We don't have to wait for Jay. We don't have to wait for Jay-Z. We don't have to wait for Meek Mill. We don't have to wait for we don't have to wait for any any of that other stuff. If these black athletes ever said, you know what? I'ma be Kaepernick today. This is worth more to me than, you know, making these millions that I'm eventually gonna be broke anyway because the majority of them the majority <laughs> of them jokers end up broke after four years of, after being in the league anyway, with CTE, brain damage out here doing dumb shit anyway, right? But if they took a stand, then they can make a change. But a lot of them don't see it that way. Why is that? So, <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think it's probably any different than what we see in a lot of other spaces. More mm. likely than not, folks know yeah. what they're supposed to do. You know what it should be. But for some reason, when it comes down to it, you don't make that move. You don't, you know it's wrong, but you still continue to go on your way. There is this thought of, I recognize that's not good, but I got to protect my own. And we're a very capitalistic, individualistic society. And I see, well, I don't want to compromise what I could get by putting myself at risk and doing this other thing. But it came out this like diversity, equity committee that was supposed to be thinking about ways to improve diversity across multiple spans, right? No matter what diversity was, the Rooney rule was just about Black coaches. But there were other things that the committee was interested in. They were looking at positions. Weren't they also looking at like salaries for white quarterbacks versus Black quarterbacks or trainings or recruitments and why they kept picking people from these big schools and overlooking the talent at HBCUs and and looking at gender and all of these things. But the reality is that my the way I perceive it is that so many of these teams are directly connected to like family money. Right. Like, yeah, old money. Mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. don't know, but I would wonder if you did like a 23 and me that a lot of that money kind of traces back to some money. <laughs> you, you know, know that, you know, that. you know, yeah. and, so, yeah. and when you are the, the owner and this is your family and you are a head coach, you have influence over the, the over the culture of the locker room, over hiring, over a lot of the decisions. So I don't think that the thought is that we don't think they're good enough. The fear is like, but are they really going to come home with me? And am I going to have to engage with them in a way that I would? And do I want to do that? Like, no, he can just be a coordinator. And we love him and let's celebrate him and let's give him the Walter Payton Award for Courage. But at the end of the day, he's going to go his place and I'm going to go my place and we're going to stay like that. And so I think that to me is, is the difference. And the data also looked at that was also was it 2007 2006 that Tony Dungy and Dennis Green got fired and Tony Dungy had a winning season and Dennis Green like only had one losing season and so that also gets right back to that pressure so it Mm -hmm. makes you say like I'm doing all of this work I'm doing all of the grind work those defensive Mm -hmm. coordinators and offensive coaches they are like a many like for us they're like the Mm -hmm. APs right they're doing the grind Mm -hmm. work they're on lunch duty they're on arrival dismissal they're covering classes they're doing a bunch of work behind the scenes and so to not even give them an opportunity to interview Mm -hmm. not even take their credentials seriously is, is not about talent but about their prejudice and their beliefs so you have one you have one joker he he uh one black coach he he went to uh uh Minnesota because you you know you talk about Denny Green, think about Denny Green. Um, he went to Minnesota. He had a nine-hour interview. And then the next day, they hired a white man. So you mean to tell me you interviewed me for nine hours? Yeah, and there was nothing that I said. There was nothing that I said in that nine-hour interview that made you say, you know what, I'm gonna at least give you a second look. And damn the Giants, you know, you when you were talking about that old money or whatever, and the roots that trace back or whatever. I know John's ain't even looking at no black coach based off of Lots probably of where some of that money comes from. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, and, and I feel like, man, it's crazy, but I feel like these athletes could take us to, yo, listen, if we, if we had four or five LeBrons in the NFL, 
we wouldn't be having this conversation because we would have game changers, uh, franchise players. As a matter of fact, you don't even need 70%. All you need is some franchise players that come out and that are like, you know what? I want a black coach. Or to, 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 to take it up even another notch, if you had these white QBs that they covered so much, that was like, you know what? I want a black coach. Yeah. Not a, not a, 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 a coordinator. I want a black coach. Then sure. it would change. Yeah, it would change. We also for that nine-hour interview for Denny Green. How many people of color do you? No, think no, were- no. It was it was it wasn't Denny Green. It was uh, it was Minnesota. This was recent. Oh, okay. But how many not? How many people do you think were in the room having a conversation? <laughs> who were who were in there again? I guess back to that allyship, right? Somebody in there probably thought that that black coach was a good that that candidate would have been an amazing. And you coach. talking to me for nine hours? Then something had to be good about that conversation oh, for you to talk to me for nine that's hours. Different than putting we want equality on shirts and having camo on November 11th and pink doing October. It's all performative. If you're not going to yeah. actually invest in changes that give us new results and yeah. different outcomes, then you're you're just wasting time and and making and and pacifying us. Just here you go. Look, we got you. This halftime yeah. show is it's great yeah. to be back now. Forget about yeah. what happened with the kneeling. It's okay. Hey. He Listen, can't. He can, doesn't I, have the right to say what he wants to say, but I can say yeah. what I want because you can't cancel me. You can only cancel people who I don't like when they say things that affect my fragility. You can't do that. Fact. Hey, listen. I can listen to Mary J. Blige anytime I want to. All I gotta go with the Apple Music or whatever, right? And, and yeah, hey, shout out Mary. She looking fine these days. But hey, she was fine when she first came out. So I can Stay go. Uh, yeah. So uh, so but I want to talk about how the Rooney Rule, like how it could impact other other spaces in life, right? And so think about Rooney Rule if we looked at it in terms of this. Hmm. If we looked at it in terms of politics, right? Because I strongly believe that if we had a political system that reflected America, that some of these decisions that occur in the House and that happen in the Senate will look far differently Uh marginalized people would have a larger voice in terms of like the overall politics. I know that there would be a hell of a lot more amendments uh, based off of just like the current system of racism, right? And so it's extremely alarming to me as a history teacher, thinking about how, you know, you you see the constitution and you see um, um, articles of federation um, and you see like all, all of these things that were the beginning blueprints of the United States and you see this word, this French word, we. But it's not an all-encompassing word, right? We know that. We know that that's not true. We know that we know that we didn't include us, right? Sure. And so I think that those that didn't have money, it was about wealth and land. Like you had to, that was the we. They were referring to their we. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, they, and and so and so with the current makeup of politics, and they, and you know, they're always like, oh well. You know, this is not what the founders wanted, and this was not the founders didn't want black people to vote or do anything, right? So we sit up and we having this conversation, we're having this post-constitutional conversation about what the founders wanted. Shit, the founders didn't want us here except except in the capacity that we were here. That's right. So, like, why do we even frame politics in that manner, given the fact that we know what they wanted and how they thought about the we tradition? We've always done it that way. It's what it's what we're founded on. It's how we've done it before. But your your question about like what the Rooney Rule would look like for Congress makes me also think about. So what about other spaces? What would that look yeah. like? Like we have an equitable number of doctors and nurses and surgeons that represent the actual mm-hmm. demographics of the population. We often talk about that with teaching, right? And the yeah. low number of, of male teachers and, and black male teachers specifically. And even when we look at the growing number of teacher, black teachers thinking about where there are gaps around administrators or, or presidents of universities or all of these other places. And so what you're talking about is a radical idea where they would potentially have a, a an equal base. So if 15% of us were representing this, then 15% of us would be that. And so that, I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal way to look at it. But it, then again, you're talking about disrupting power. You're talking about equitable practices. You're talking about real diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're talking about being reflective about the changes and not having the same folks with power the same time, all the same ways. You're, 
but that but that would be fascinating. I would love to like look at some some data on that to see like where is there an industry where people who are leading actually reflect the the demographic makeup of the people in which they're serving? Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm 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 gonna adjust this comment. Uh, uh, Mr. Williams says LeBron was scared to walk off and cancel games during the bubble. Please stop propping him up. And so, what I will say about 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 LeBron is this: you may be 100 uh, 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 factual in terms of your assessment of that situation, but what I will say is he's doing more than 98 percent of the other athletes that don't say nothing, right? And so, yeah, you know, he he probably doesn't speak up as much as he could. But Jordan never spoke up, right? And so Jordan is Jordan is, is a political arm now, right? So like now Jordan is coming to speak up. He did things silently in terms of like uh you know um you know uh donations to uh campaigns and like all those things. You never knew about it. You know about it more now, uh based off of uh you know Republicans buying sneakers and uh, Democrats buying sneakers, right? And so yeah, while we come in and we are e- it's easy to condemn LeBron for what he doesn't do. He's doing a hell of a lot more than, than than what folks did prior to him. So I just want I want to lift that in, in in the spirits. Um. Uh. So yeah. So what about how would it look here? How would the Rooney Rule look? Uh. In education vacancies in white led school districts, right? And so it, I, I I worded this for a reason. It's because if out of the eight percent of Black identifying folks that wanted to go and get a job in Black communities. You could do that very easily, right? But the place where you can't go is in the suburbs, especially like white-led superintendents or whatever, or like white-led schools or whatever. It's harder to get into those schools, even though the research says that, you know, having a diverse teacher body uh, is beneficial to all kids, not just to the kids that of, of that particular uh, that particular race, right? Absolutely. And so, Everybody benefits yeah. from black teachers. Yeah. And so what do you, what do you think, what do you think uh, with regards to that? I mean, I think it it always gets back to to the same thing, right? It's all about power and who, where that power lies and to diversify roles and, and, and leaders, those places is, is disruptive to what people would want to have. And so I can't let them come in and then they'll have power and then they'll be voting and influencing what we do. And then we'll lose these traditions. We'll lose the way we always did things. We'll lose this thing that has, <laughs> no, I'm serious, it has defined I know, us. I know. And they can yeah. have a school and they can do it over there, but over here, this is how we're gonna do it for us. We, we yeah. know what's our community, we've been here. They don't know what's good. They need something else. And so we'll let them have something else just, just over there. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. not over hey. there. Hey, the easiest, the easiest way, right? The easiest way to think about a company that's on the demise or a company that has defaulted or a company that no longer exists is to think about it from the lens of we've always done it this way, right? And because you've always done it this way, that's why you are no longer here. That's because right. you refuse to adapt to the times, right? And that's why you're no longer here. So yeah, that's definitely perfect for uh for saying that. And I appreciate you uh and your take on this Rooney Rule, John. All right, so I kinda, <laughs> kinda want to go into this whoopi this, this whoopie Goldberg thing. I kinda want to, but I kinda want to get canceled. And so all right, so what <laughs> so because Doc, Doc was supposed to, Doc was supposed to be here. He's supposed to lead us into this conversation or whatever. This guy's not here, but I, I think it would be irresponsible for us not to touch on it. So let me see right. how I could. We're going to talk about the things that nobody want to talk about three times. No yeah. podcast. We're going to do it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, I got to, but I got to figure out how we're going to hold on. Um. Oh, I got to share my screen. Okay. Just be patient with me, folks. I'm coming. All right. Here we go. Um, Chrome tab, Whoopi, share. Wait. I got to make sure that I... Um... Can you hear that? Can you hear that? No. It, you didn't hear it? Okay. That means that I did something wrong. Um, share screen. Share. Share screen, Chrome tab, 
share audio, share tab audio. All right, you we're good. Talk about what be today. No, 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 we're good. The universe right. is saying we don't have to talk about her today. <laughs> That's why it's not working. <laughs> the entire ABC News organization stands in solidarity with our Jewish colleagues, friends, family, and communities. If you're yeah. going to do this, then let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. On Monday's show, the host of ABC's The View inaccurately claimed the Holocaust was not related to race. It's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. All right. Okay, so, so, ah, man. So, so listen, so that's, I, I liken this, this whole scenario of, of Whoopi Goldberg, right? So I liken it to a teacher who doesn't have the content knowledge to be able to teach a certain thing, but still wants to go out on the ledge and, 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 and say what she feels is provocative and what she feels may be her interpretation of what what occurred but not based off of fact not based off of imagery not based off of substance right or also like not based on um an evolved understanding of yes. a particular concept right yes 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 uh cancelable no because i don't think that she i don't think she came from a place or a space in which she was not trying to see the humanity of Jewish people, right? And so I think that she misspoke, and and she needs to be informed. So it becomes a a an opportunity to counsel and not cancel. Okay, I don't dis I don't disagree. I think um, it 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 reminds me of how many conversations we are having that have not evolved. And, and the reason is because we often don't have them in mixed spaces. And so yeah. if it, when Joy said, tell me more, right? She didn't, yeah. didn't yell and get offended. She kind of leaned in and, and I would argue that, and I didn't watch the whole thing, but if it had gone on and on and this yeah. topic came up four months from now, she may yeah. have a more evolved definition of what, of course. what of course. how it works, but but we don't have those conversations and, and right. in a way that helps us learn more about the thing and not just assume that we know so much. And if we think that race is only about skin color, mm -hmm. and if we only talk about racism in terms of color and not naming power, not naming white supremacy, not naming white fragility, if we only think about mm -hmm. gender like it's this way and this way, then, then we will all get tripped up because you can't talk about gender identity to today the same way you did 15 years ago or 50 years ago. Your definition, yeah. your understanding of that concept have to evolve as times change. It doesn't mean that you have to think a different way about it. She can still yeah. hold on to her core beliefs, but it does mean that we have to, to, to think about the, the evolving definitions and the ways that we understand these terms. Yeah. So, so my my first uh, interaction with, uh, with with Hitler and the Germans was uh, around the time of the Olympics with Jesse Owens, right? I want to say it was thirty six, but I may be off, right? And so and there was this understanding that Germany was a superior race, and that uh, athletes that performed against the Germans were going to lose because naturally, uh, you know, their race was more superior than any other athlete, right? And so when Jesse Owens got up there and blow those jokers out of the box, right? Like, like you know, if that wasn't more, if that wasn't enough for you guys to know that there is no such thing as a superior race, right? If that didn't end that argument for you, right? And so, you know, it didn't end that argument for them because then they still felt as if they were superior to a group of people, right? And so then they went in to exterminate those folks, right? And so I guess my concern is we have uh, we have white folks in America that hate Jews. We have white folks in America that do not acknowledge the Holocaust, right? And so, you know, that's another thing that they want to take out of schools. That Anne Frank book, 
meant a lot to me in school. They don't want that book to be in school. They want that book to be banned, right? And so I'm starting. It's starting to really feel like these folks don't want to know their history. They want to rewrite histories to where they, to where they don't have to acknowledge the fact that there were inhumane things that were done by their ancestors, and they're trying to erase the greatness of of, of our ancestors. I don't understand. Well, I wouldn't be mad if they would just come straight out and say it like that, but to frame it as though, oh, elementary school students shouldn't learn about hate. So we want to remove this, this whole thing about the civil rights movement out of the book or that this book isn't correct because, you know, young children are too young to learn about this. They should be having, you know, fun in school and just learning how to read. They're too young to learn about hate and racism and, and the South and, and separate water fountains. They're too young. But when they get older and they have more understanding of it, then we can teach them about it. So I would rather them just keep it funky with me and say, hey, listen, y'all are doing too well. We've tried all these different ways to exterminate you. And we know that people believe truth is in books. We want to change the textbook and remove all of y'all and make it our stories. Keep it 100. But don't try to frame it as though these discussions and this banning of books is about protecting all young people from evilness of being outdoors, because that's not what it's about. That's yeah. what I like. and so and so I'm glad I'm glad El Michelle is here because like her comments definitely resonate in a sense, right? And so when you so when you look at I don't really want to talk about the differences because I I don't I, we can have a closed call Zoom call <laughs> <laughs> passcode on that thing the pass- so yeah put a passcode on that thing and we ain't taping it. So El Michelle, holla at me if you want to talk. Or- <laughs> But I feel like we have responsibly talked about it from our perspective and and have uh, uh, had an enlightening conversation. And, and that's as far as I'm willing to go. Because, you know, there's certain people that you can talk about and there's certain people that you can't talk about unless you're trying to get your ass yanked. And so yeah. I'm not trying to be yanked. The point about cancel versus counsel is, is a good one. And yeah. I don't think I've heard it framed that way before. Yeah, that's Nick Cannon. You know, it came out to him. Why? For all the kids? <laughs> hey, but it's so funny. Funny story about that, right? Is that him and uh, him and him and, uh, a funny story about that? <laughs> no, there is, a, there, there, there is a funny story. Not about the actual kids and not about the amount of kids and not about why he keeps having them. No, but there was yeah, eight. There was uh, so him and him and Kevin Hart, they do like these prank jokes on one another, right? And so Kevin Hart send Nick Cannon a condom machine. And I think the card that was associated with it was like, hey, this is free. You don't have no excuses. <laughs> Listen. That's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of kids. And then he had, you know, God bless him, God bless the dead. He had one that just uh, that just passed away. So that would have been not yo, that's a lot of kids. Can I don't know how we I don't know how we walk into a situation. I don't know how as I can't speak for women. So women gonna do what they gotta do. But I I couldn't walk into a situation like that knowing and knowing everything that I know and be like, yeah, I'm cool with this. Like I don't sis. El Michelle, you in the comments? Where's El Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> you done already raised my blood pressure. You got me talking about my childhood trauma, my MCs. The N word, whoopee. What time is it? Is Abbott Elementary on? What time is yeah, it? Yeah, it's coming on right now. All right, so so closing thoughts. How are you closing out? So how am I closing out? I'm closing out thinking about all the ways that Black History Month is amazing and all the Black history moments that are happening that we never give credit to. You mentioned Baltimore is your first place of teaching. I want to shout out the Rich Program, uh, my peoples, Danielle and Mike um, Battle over in Cherry Hill, who are real live walking, talking examples of Black history every day. They are engaging with that community. They are doing resources. And so I just want to shout out. I want to remember, remind myself that there's so much good work happening around that we can take advantage of, that we don't have to go back and look at old books to find out greatness because we can just look out our window. Shout out to the Rich yeah. Program. Yeah, shout out to the Rich Program. So I guess in my, in my final thoughts, uh, you know, we got to check in with our homie, uh, uh, Dr. Simmons, because he's not here, right? That's two absences. So, yeah. Yeah. And so this 
three times dope can easily go from two times dope because we have fun tonight, right? This is amazing, right? And so, you know, uh, although we do have uh, more fun when he's here, we're still having fun. And so for you folks that have tuned in tonight with us, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, and we'll check you out next week. Uh, if you got topic uh, topics that you think that we should talk about, topics that you think we should dive in on, please uh, hit me up, hit Heather up, three times dope at three times dope on Twitter. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week. Abbott Elementary, go watch it. Peace. <laughs>